0: So when I was vaccinated against COVID-19, I felt a deep sense of relief, no more worries about personally catching the disease. So when I noticed mild COVID-19-like symptoms two months later, a stuffy nose, chest congestion, and an upset stomach, I thought they were due to seasonal allergies. I was shocked a few days later when a test for COVID-19 done in preparation for an unrelated medical procedure came back positive.
1: That was psychiatrist Stephen Tourget reading from his first opinion essay, Catching COVID-19 After Being Vaccinated Isn't a Myth, It Happened to Me. And we're being joined by Celine Gounder, an infectious disease specialist. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. At Cytiva, our mission is to advance and accelerate therapeutics. Our customers undertake life saving activities from biological research to developing vaccines, biologic drugs, and novel cell and gene therapies. Our job is to supply the tools and services they need to work better, faster, and safer. Learn more about Cytiva at Cytiva.com. That's C Y T I V A.com. Welcome to the First Opinion podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen and Celine.
2: It's great to be here.
0: Thanks so much, Pat.
1: So let me introduce you a little better to our listeners. Stephen is a child and adolescent psychiatrist, founder of North Shore Minds, a mental health practice north of Boston, associate director of Massachusetts General Hospital's Transitional Age Youth Program, and an instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Celine is an infectious disease physician and epidemiologist at NYU and Bellevue Hospital, a member of the Biden Transition COVID Advisory Board, and a host of not one, but two podcasts, Epidemic and American Diagnosis. So, Stephen, getting COVID-19 after being fully vaccinated against it, what's known as breakthrough infection, is a hot topic today. But it wasn't when you wrote about experiencing such an infection in a first opinion essay in mid-April. Did that tick you off a little
0: bit? Oh, yeah, it definitely ticked me off. I mean, I, uh, I thought that I was protected and I knew that breakthrough infections could occur, Um, but I didn't think that it would happen to me. And it just, it seemed like a surprise. And
1: because you're both physicians, I'm guessing you were both among the first wave of Americans to get vaccinated. At the time, people were sharing stories of joy about getting vaccinated, something that, Celine, you recently covered in an episode of Epidemic. How did getting vaccinated make each of you feel at the time?
2: You know, in New York City, we were one of the very first hit uh, in the United States. We experienced um, a tremendously hard march in April. I can remember walking to Bellevue Hospital, walking across Manhattan to work, and there were these mortuary trucks that were parked outside the medical examiner's office, which is right across the street from Bellevue. And so while It wasn't literally bodies in the street. It kind of felt like it, you know, walking right by that. You would get to the hospital floor and everybody was sort of off in their corners doing their own thing, socially distancing, wearing their masks. All the patient uh, rooms were closed. And it really just felt horrible. I mean, to be in that setting, it was and that silence was punctuated with these overhead calls for patients who needed to be intubated. And unfortunately, some of those patients ended up being some of our very own colleagues, uh, nurses being intubated on the hospital floor in front of our very eyes. And so, yeah, when I had the opportunity to get vaccinated, having lived through all of that for the months leading up to this, that was a tremendous relief. I can't even tell you, um, just to feel like, okay, now I can breathe, literally breathe a little freer.
1: Hmm, Interesting. Stephen, how about you?
0: Yeah. Um, like you, Celine, I had a very sort of similar uh, grateful appreciation for the vaccine. I mean, I was working in the emergency department at Mass General, you know, seeing patients in mental health crises and many of them were COVID positive, And I hadn't tested positive throughout that time, just following precautions. Uh, and it wasn't until like a year later uh, when I did. And so that was after the vaccine. But when I did get the vaccine in uh, December of 2020 for my first dose and the second dose in uh, January, uh, I felt great. You know, it was almost like a badge of honor. I was like, hey, I got this vaccine and I'm one of the first people to get it um, because I am fortunate enough to have access to that being, uh, you know, being a physician. And so it, uh, it did feel pretty nice to have that.
1: So, how did you adjust to life as a vaccinated person? Were you still wearing a mask everywhere in stores and seeing patients? And were you still li- living your life as you were before, but with an inner sense of reassurance?
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, knowing that I was vaccinated, I didn't decrease my precautions. I think I still followed important precautions, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, um, being careful with. Not going to crowded events, staying away from uh, people that might be in large crowds who are unvaccinated and you know I was still following those precautions but um, I think inevitably you know you just can't predict sometimes when you're going to be exposed And then how long after you got vaccinated
1: did you start having these seasonal allergy symptoms?
0: I would say so it was about three months after the uh, first dose, two to three months. So, I, my first uh, dose of the vaccine was in late December. So, and I tested positive in mid March. So, uh, it, honestly, I wouldn't have known that I even had COVID uh, had it not been for this routine medical procedure I was supposed to have. I just thought that, you know, it was like a mild cold or something, and I probably wouldn't have been tested. So, I do think there. There's more people who were walking around out there who were probably positive and just not getting tested. You know, it it was a good two months after I got the vaccine.
1: And so Steven, how did you find out that you weren't suffering from seasonal allergies?
0: My doctor who I was seeing at the time was like, hey, you know, we got to get you tested routinely, went in uh, to Newton Wellesley Hospital uh, to their testing site. And, um, you know, so it was a doctor ordered PCR test. It wasn't like I was just trying to test myself or do a, an at-home kit. It was a PCR test where I got swabbed and um, I found out a couple days later and it was positive. And so I just looked at my phone and I remember being in my car at the time, you know, parked and I was like, oh, let's see what this is. <laughs> and it was like positive And it had like the, the red and the exclamation point said COVID positive. And I was like, this cannot be right. So I actually retested myself a few times and that, uh, didn't go as well as I had hoped either.
1: (laughs) How did you handle this? What did you do?
0: So, you know, obviously I followed, you know, the, the protocols and everything. I mean, I quarantined, I notified all of my contacts. I, um, You know, I first kind of did a double take and I made sure that it was actually positive because I I knew some of the statistics and I knew that it was pretty rare that, you know, people do have the breakthrough infections. I believe it's like less than uh, 1% of people who are fully vaccinated. But um, I handled it by quarantining, by getting myself retested three or four more times. And it was either inconclusive or it was positive. Uh, Certainly wasn't coming back negative. And um, I also tried to deal with it by just coping psychologically. I mean, as a psychiatrist, I was like, what can I do to try to relieve my anxiety and and distress around this? And so I I wrote that article um, that came out for Stat News, just kind of detailing my experience personally and professionally. And uh, I reached out to my friends and family. Celine, from what you've learned about breakthrough infections, Is
1: Stephen's story common or uncommon?
2: We're gonna be hearing more and more stories like the one Stephen just told. And this is really not something to get overly concerned about. We vaccinate to prevent severe disease, hospitalization and death from COVID, not to prevent the common cold. And in general, if you look at all the diseases that we vaccinate for, those are diseases that can kill you, not nuisance diseases. And so what Stephen's describing is, is really akin to a common cold, but he did not have a drop in his oxygen levels. He did not end up in the hospital. He did not end up in the ICU on a ventilator. And so to me, that's a huge success. This is exactly how the vaccines are supposed to be working.
1: Well, that's an interesting way to put it. You know, it's funny, as, as you said, we're probably going to be hearing more and more about this. Sometimes when you hear about something happening to somebody you know or a friend of a friend, it feels like it's more common. Um, Stephen, as you wrote back in April, the CDC had come out with some numbers saying there were 6,000 breakthrough infections among 77 million Americans who were fully vaccinated. That's a hundredth of a percent. Um, Celine, is that kind of right on target? It's a, it's an uncommon thing.
2: Yeah, this is very, very uncommon. But when you think about, you know, a country where we're really trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible, uh, we've hit that 70% of adults with at least one dose. So you know, you're talking about millions and millions of people. So even a rare event is going to happen at some point.
1: Are they are these becoming more common with the Delta variant? There's a lot of talk about Delta doing all sorts of things.
2: So, you know, I do think it's important that people understand that Delta is different. The Delta variant is different from the early strains of the virus and even from the Alpha strain, which we saw saw here in the United States in the spring. It is much more infectious. It is by far the most infectious strain that we've seen in the United States. And it's also somewhat immune evading, which means that in particular, if you had a case of COVID early in the pandemic, your immunity from natural infection is really not protective against the Delta variant. And we do see a bit of an uptick in these breakthrough infections. So people who have an infection after vaccination But these are, by and large, really just mild colds. Uh, These are not landing people in the hospital and certainly not um, leading to people dying. And that's really the key message that the vaccines are working. They're protecting against hospitalization and death.
1: As we saw before vaccines were available, that people could be infected with SARS-CoV-2 and not know it because they had no symptoms. Um, It looks like the same thing might be happening with These so-called breakthrough infections—that you can have it, not be infected, and yet still pass the the virus along—is that is that the case?
2: Yeah, we certainly are seeing that, where um, people have no symptoms, minimal symptoms with one of these breakthrough infections after vaccination. The concern is that when they do have those breakthrough infections, that they do have virus in their nose and throat and can transmit that onward to others, which is why right now when we have so much Delta virus being transmitted in the community, that we are recommending that vaccinated people go back to wearing masks when they are indoors, just to reduce that risk of onward transmission to other people.
1: That's a that's a big change. Americans don't seem to like um they don't seem to like following science-based recommendations, especially when they seem to be going backwards, which isn't backwards. It's just science. Uh, it's kind of kind of a frustrating thing for anybody who believes in science.
2: Well, it's a hard one, right? Because either you can um, be more or less aggressive sort of in waves and pull back, then reinstitute masking or some of these other interventions based on what the situation on the ground dictates and what the science would say. Or you could just say, you know what, we're going to be really, really conservative this entire time. And we're just not going to stop doing these things because there's probably going to be a time when we need to go back to them. And I don't think either approach makes everyone happy. I think if you're really strict all the time, people get frustrated. They'll say, well, do we really need to be doing this? And then if you do what the CDC has done, which is to drop masking recommendations and then reinstitute. People feel like, um, "Hey, you no, know, I thought we were getting rewarded for that hard work, and now you're grounding us again." Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's not it's not what this is about. This is not a punishment. It's just adapting to an evolving situation, an evolving virus.
1: Are breakthrough infections unique to COVID?
2: Breakthrough infections are not unique to COVID no vaccine is 100% effective. The COVID vaccines are about as close to 100% as they come, actually. Um, But this is where I think people need to understand uh, this is not just an individual intervention. Vaccines work best at a population level. And so I am that much better protected and my vaccine protects me that much better if all the people around me are also vaccinated. And I think this, people fundamentally do not get this and this is why so much of the conversation around vaccines is framed in terms of my individual rights, my individual protection, I want to optimize my immunity with an extra dose. And that's not necessarily what's going to protect you best. Uh what will actually so I got my two doses early as a healthcare provider. I am more than 6 months out from my second dose. Getting a third dose, maybe yeah that'll boost my immunity a little bit. What actually protects me more is if everybody around me in my community gets vaccinated and that is the best use when you have a scarce supply is to really try to spread that across the population
1: have either of you had to deal personally maybe with friends or family or colleagues people who either didn't want to get vaccinated or didn't want to wear masks
0: oh yeah definitely i mean even in my own family um extended family in-laws you know people are just not wanting to wear masks or or may not believe that the virus is is a real thing or if it is that it's not really going to affect them as much or they might politicize the issue as it has become politicized unfortunately and um people may view it as restricting their freedom you know their personal liberty in the sense of having to wear a mask uh whether it's on an airplane or at the gym or just going to you know, any venue. And and so I've seen that. And like you try to educate and try to show them the research or explain it in a way that makes sense. But at the end of the day, you you know, you can't convince everybody. I think we just have to try to be positive about it and be objective.
1: Uh, Stephen, has your experience Getting COVID after being vaccinated made you more cautious than maybe your other colleagues or family members who have been vaccinated?
0: Yeah, I think it's made me more cautious in certain ways, um, but also more reassured, you know, knowing that, hey, I actually had this and um, I probably have built up some natural immunity from that, but also from the vaccine. And it, it's made me kind of look at things a little bit differently because now um, I just know that like if the vaccines are not the end all be all, they're great. We definitely need to be getting those, but we still have to kind of do our part and be vigilant and make sure that um, we're, we're addressing all of the, the possible vulnerable areas. And, you know, just being a psychiatrist, I've seen the effect that the pandemic has had on uh, a lot of different patients.
1: You know, given your experience, let's say next week you had a runny
0: nose and a headache. Would you go get tested for COVID? That's a good question. I mean, I, from what I realize, after you test positive, I mean, I think you're pretty much you have a, a high chance of remaining positive or testing positive, even though your viral load can be low um, for like three months. So uh, it has been more than three months since I tested positive. And so I, w- I would definitely consider getting tested. Um if, if I had a cold, I mean, I've been advising some of my patients who have colds to get tested, whereas I probably wouldn't necessarily have before now when they have mild colds. They'll say, oh, I'm vaccinated. It's fine. I'll be like, well, maybe you should actually think about getting tested for COVID. And some of them have. Celine, is that pretty good advice?
2: Yeah, that's certainly the advice that we've been giving. In fact, um, you know, that famous province town outbreak on Cape Cod that's been reported in a lot of um, news outlets now about breakthrough infections among gay men who were in July um, partying during that time. It's kind of their spring break in Cancun. Um, I had a lot of friends who were actually there that first week in July, who second week in July, I was getting text messages of, yeah, I've been vaccinated, but you know, I have this cough that's just won't go away. You know, should I get tested for COVID? I was like, absolutely, absolutely. And while it may not change anything for you as that person, it may change perhaps how you protect other people around you. Um, Those guys in in Provincetown actually reported um, their, what they were observing this outbreak uh, to friends at the CDC the CDC and the Massachusetts Department of Health came in and investigated, and we learned a tremendous amount from that story. So, you know, I call that citizen science. In a sense, be a citizen scientist. If you have symptoms after vaccination, be a part of the solution. Uh, get yourself tested. And then if it's positive, you know, your doctor, your local public health department can make sure that gets looked into.
1: Do you routinely get tested?
2: Do I routinely get tested? Um, yeah. I have gotten tested for travel. I was getting tested regularly prior to vaccination. Since vaccination, I have not had any symptoms. And I will say I have been very careful uh, in terms of continuing to wear a mask, to socialize only outdoors when I'm not working at the hospital. And then obviously at the hospital, I'm wearing my N95 mask. Um, So given I have not been symptomatic since vaccination, I have not gotten tested, except for around travel
1: testing was at high levels for a while and then declined, but now seems to be on the rise again. Is routine testing or continued testing still still important, maybe to look for new variants?
2: Yeah, I think testing is really important, uh, in part because if people have a breakthrough infection, that subset of infections is likely to be enriched um, for variants. So those are likely to be strains of the virus that may have some immune-evading properties. And so it's one of the types of surveillance that we need to be doing um, to make sure that we pick up on these new variants early.
1: So there's a lot of talk today, yesterday especially, but there's a lot of talk today about boosters with vaccine companies saying we're gonna need them, the CDC not agreeing, and the World Health Organization, I think appropriately, saying that people shouldn't get boosters until everybody on the planet has been vaccinated. What do you both
0: think about boosters? I mean, I think if it's available and uh, we have some evidence there that it could be helpful, I would definitely consider it. I mean, my I might be biased because I tested positive after um, the initial vaccine, but I would be more optimistic about it uh, in terms of requiring it or mandating it I think that's definitely a different story, but, you know, making it an option for those that want it makes sense to me.
1: Celine, you told my colleagues who host the Read Out Loud podcast when you were a guest a couple weeks ago that you think the term booster is a misnomer. Could you explain that? I thought it was really interesting.
2: On Monday, my colleagues and I had an op-ed run in The New York Times about this question of boosters. Are boosters indicated? What is the science? And if a booster's indicated who needs them. So based on the science we've had accumulate so far, there are very specific populations in whom a booster would make sense. And number one on that list would be highly immunocompromised people. And when I say highly immunocompromised, I mean really immunocompromised. So people who have had organ transplants, for example, like a lung transplant or a kidney transplant, People who have autoimmune diseases or cancer who are on highly immunosuppressive drugs, Uh, people who have blood cancers or people who have HIV/AIDS. Those are the people who really, really do need a booster dose. What we're seeing, it's not a waning of immunity, it's that they just simply do not have immunity even right away after their they've completed vaccination. We have seen, though, in those groups, by giving an extra dose, so that would mean a second dose after J&J or a third dose of Pfizer or Moderna, that you can actually finally elicit an immune response in those people by doing that. And the FDA is uh, proceeding with uh, amending its emergency use authorization on the vaccines to allow for extra doses for these highly immunocompromised people. There is also evidence um, that some of the elderly, in particular, I would say the old elderly, so people over the age of 80, um, that there is less robust of an immune response. And so truly elderly people would benefit perhaps from an extra dose. And then finally, where breakthrough infections have been deadly is in nursing homes. And so there may be an argument to be made for giving an extra dose of vaccine to nursing home residents. But frankly, I think you would actually better protect by getting the caregivers in the nursing home vaccinated, because that's been the source of a lot of these breakthrough infections in nursing homes. Now, to your question about boosters versus extra doses, I think the problem with the term boosters is that in people's minds implies this is going to be a yearly booster shot like the flu. And that is simply not what we're talking about here. If you look at every other vaccine that we've used, there's only one vaccine that's a one-shot deal, and that's the yellow fever vaccine. Most of our vaccines we give in two, three, four doses. Hepatitis B, for example, we give three doses, and then you're done. We don't keep vaccinating you, you for that for the rest of your life. And so what we're really trying to do right now is optimize dosing regimens. How often, how many doses, what dose in what populations. And so I think the public needs to be prepared for that, that we're just trying to optimize, to tweak the regimens. And it's not that we plan to vaccinate everybody every year for the un, you know foreseeable future.
1: You mentioned nursing homes just a second ago. They were semi front and center early on in the pandemic, but, but seem to have fallen off the radar. Are there things, are there ways to bring the focus back to nursing homes?
2: What we're seeing now is that the federal government is looking at, in a sense, incentivizing um, higher rates of vaccination in nursing homes, and this is really through um, pay-for-performance kinds of policies. So, pay-for-performance is where you get, um, you know, incentives through Medicare, Medicaid. You're reimbursed perhaps at a higher level or lower level for certain services, depending on the quality of services you're providing. So let's say you have a patient that had a heart attack. Did you counsel them on smoking cessation before they were discharged from the hospital? Uh, If you did, you are better compensated. If you did not, you are dinged for that. And similarly, that's what we're talking about happening with nursing homes where they may not be doing as good of a job of getting their employees vaccinated.
1: I'd like to switch gears here for a second. Stephen, as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, you've had a front row seat to see how the pandemic has affected younger people. You know, given what we know and what we don't know about the developing brain, do you think there's going to be a like a long imprint of COVID-19 on young people?
0: I think there will be, um, especially for young people who've already had pre-existing mental health conditions, you know, prior to the pandemic, those with anxiety disorders, depression, autism spectrum disorder, uh, they will feel the effects, I believe, of the pandemic more strongly uh, in terms of the post-traumatic stress, because you have to bounce back and have to have a certain amount of resilience to work, work through it you know, in addition to the proper treatment. And, uh, when you don't have that, or when you're already struggling with, uh, with having this acute stressor during a very vulnerable time in your life, then that can take a toll, but only time will really tell. Celine,
1: this is the first time I've had a podcaster on the show. Um, (laughs) you've hosted (laughs) and it's great. I can't very excited. Um, you hosted the American Diagnosis podcast, it looks like, from 2017 through 2020, and now hosts the weekly Epidemic podcast. What do you enjoy about doing that?
2: You know, I, I've i been doing media of different kinds really since 2013, and what I learned over time is that it really, you need to think about who you want to reach with what message through what medium and who you're able to reach through the written word, through television, and I you know, also do a lot of television, and through podcasting, they're simply different audiences. Uh, podcast audiences tend to skew a bit younger. They're a bit more diverse. Uh, your cable news audiences tend to be old and very white. And so to me, it's really important to make use of different media to reach different audiences. Um, I think the other beauty of podcasting in particular is that you're able to tell a bit more of a story. People will sit with you for longer, um, you know, 20, 30 minutes, people will listen to a podcast. They won't necessarily watch a 20, 30 minute interview on cable news. And so you're able to get into certain details, certain nuances, uh, people's stories in just a whole different way.
1: You know, that's exactly how I feel about this one. People will spend five minutes reading uh, an essay But this just lets us take a deeper dive into the things that people are writing.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, we've gotten to know Stephen a little bit better and and we have a better understanding of where he was coming from when he wrote about his own experience.
1: And many thanks to both of you for talking with me about breakthrough infections, the Delta variant, booster shots and beyond.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, this was fun. Thanks so much, Patrick.
1: Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Our senior producer is Alyssa Ambrose and the executive producer is Rick Burke. I love to hear from listeners. Please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, Please leave a review, a rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time.